Hey, good afternoon, Northern Collective Church. Uh, welcome everyone who's tuning in. My name is Harrison Kwok, and I'm the pastor here. We're, we're going, uh, putting the messages online right now during the state of emergency. Uh, it's very difficult to gather with the current uh, restrictions uh, the government has placed. And uh, please pray for uh, our leadership as we try to navigate how to best uh, obey our government, but also um, listen and learn what God has to say through the Bible. And so this, it's hard to give solid answers as, as to when we're going to gather again. But if you'd like any more information, uh, please uh, email us at info at northerncollective.church. Uh, shoot us a message on Facebook, and we'd love to talk with you, whether on the phone um, or whatever way is best. Uh, if you're new here, our mission is to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ while teaching all people to do the same. And our vision is to see thriving gospel-centered churches in all Yukon communities by making disciples that make disciples. And please be in prayer for the Risto family as they continue to minister alongside the Holmes family in Carcross, uh, home of the Tagish Carcross First Nation, and, uh, and for the Northern Collective as we continue to build strong relationships with the people of Pelly Crossing. Uh, we'd love to see a church started there and to encourage the believers who are there and continue the work that has been going on there. And so it's a great privilege to be working in the Yukon and uh, making disciples for the glory of King Jesus. And if you ever want to stay in touch, please check out our website, northerncollective.church. Uh, email us, message us, and we'd love to hear from you. And so you're going to be just hearing just. You're just going to be hearing a message today. There's going to be no music. Uh, if you'd like, I'd encourage you to listen to In Christ Alone, one of my favorite songs about the solid rock in which we stand, which is Christ alone. Uh, also listen to how deep our Father's love for us. How deep our Father's love for us. Check out those songs and, and be encouraged by, by the words. And so today I'm going to continue our series through Philippians. We're in the last chapter of Philippians. Um, we'll be done, Lord willing, in three weeks. This will be one of the three weeks. And we're looking at Paul's final encouraging words in verses 2 to 9 in chapter 4. And he's offering these words of encouragement. And three things in particular he's, he's trying to express or stress and he's saying, we need unity in the church. That's one thing. We need unity in the church. The second thing is he teaches us how to fight anxiety. So he's stressing unity in the church. And number two, how to fight anxiety. And number three in this portion of Philippians 4, he's teaching us proper Christian thinking. What is proper Christian thinking? thinking. And I think this is a very relatable text today. It's a very important text today in our current climate of much division and chaos and name-calling and just general anger. The church needs to be united when the church is being, when the world is being divided. We need not be anxious because of the God we serve, and we are to have proper Christian thinking. And so, he opens 
by saying in verse 2, Now I appeal to you, Judea and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they work hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose, name, whose names are written in the book of life. And so Paul is talking about how he, in his ministering of the gospel, and how he started churches around the known world, he worked with people. He didn't work in a silo. He worked with men and women. And he worked with two particular women, Judea and Syntyche. And he says to them that, they worked hard with me in telling others of the good news. But there's a disagreement between them. There's a tension between them. There's a conflict between them. And we're not sure exactly what that conflict is. We're not exactly sure who Judea and Syntyche are. But we can assume that the church knows who they are. That Paul is using them by name and saying, you must settle your disagreement. And you must help them. And we will face conflict in this life because we are fallen people that we've inherited the sin of the first person Adam and the things that we do are not with pure motivation there is death and there is decay our minds aren't right our relationships aren't right and so we have conflict you're fallen people living in a fallen world but Paul is saying the gospel makes reconciliation possible. The good news of Jesus makes reconciliation possible and gives us hope in the midst of any conflict. Any conflict. It doesn't matter what the other person thinks. It doesn't matter how backwards their thinking is. That we can still settle conflict and reconciliation is possible. Because when we were hostile to Jesus, when we were hostile to God, and we had anti-Christian thinking, in that Jesus Christ died for us. He humbled himself in the form of a servant and took our sin upon himself and reconciled us to one another. He broke down the wall of his hostility that exists between us and Jesus Christ, and he breaks down the division that separates people. But there's too much today, and it's been throughout history, where we demonize one another, where we put a different thinking group in a different camp, and we say, they're not like us, and we don't want to be with them, and we separate and we divide. There's disunity not only outside of the church, but as well as inside of the church. Relational discord are enemies of joy in the Christian life. Relational discord are enemies of joy in the Christian life. We must seek unity. And there's some hard decisions that people have to make. But in the midst of that, as best as we can, we seek unity. It doesn't, not, it doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we all think exactly the same thing in exactly the same way. But we can still be united. 
A case in point would be a marriage. You look at two very different people who think very different things, but they are united. And where they disagree, there can still be unity. There still can be unity, but it's not uniformity. And unity is essential to the gospel. Unity is how the world will know that we love one another and that Christ is true and that we are united. Unity is not just an afterthought of the gospel. It is the direct application of the gospel. We are to be united. We are to be reconciled. If we have disagreements and discord and tension and conflict with anybody, we must seek reconciliation. It does not mean we agree with the other person. It does not mean what the other person has done is right or vice versa. But we are to seek peace and unity in the midst of that discord. And so how do we build this unity? How do we build unity? Well, Paul is saying to Yudi and Syntyche, and he's saying to the church to act as a third-party reconciler, Paul says to him, settle your disagreement. Settle your disagreement. Paul writes in a different letter called Romans, in chapter 12, verse 18. He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone, not just a certain portion, not just a certain demographic, but with everyone, as much as it depends on you. Do all that you can. Do you need to be reconciled to someone? Do you need to help others to be reconciled? Maybe you need to step in as that third party to bring peace. And we must bring peace. Because disunity dissolves gospel partnerships. And that's why Paul urges someone to help Yudia and Syntyche to reconcile. And Paul didn't have a prescribed solution how to bring, bring about reconciliation. But he did hand that job over to the local church. And says, help your sisters. Help the family in Philippi. Help them to reconcile. We must all seek unity in the church. We must all seek unity in the church. And Paul encouraged us to seek not only unity, but in that unity, as Christians, we are not to be anxious of anything. We are to be united, and we are not to be anxious. And Paul goes on to say in verse 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
a Christian community, a church should be marked with unity and what Paul is saying, with joy. We're to be marked with unity and with joy. And it's almost impossible to feel joy when we're anxious. Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling anxious about the current climate? About the political world? About the government? About your children? About food? About the environment? It's impossible to feel joy when we are constantly anxious. We're losing sleep. Some of us are losing our hair. And some of us may be crying uncontrollably. There's so much to be anxious about. But Paul is saying true joy does not depend on our circumstance. True joy does not depend on our circumstance because our circumstance will always change. For better or for worse, but Christ does not fade. He does not expire. He does not die. He does not spoil. He is eternal. He is forever. He is good. He is amazing. He is invincible. He is God. Our joy cannot and should not be rooted in our circumstance. Because our emotions will go like this. But we stand on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And we are to rejoice. Always. In everything. No matter the circumstance. Our joy is rooted in the sovereign and living God that is Jesus Christ. It's rooted in what he has done. In that he's paid for our sins. And he created the universe. And he controls the universe. And what he is doing now. He is in control now. Even though it can feel like sometimes everything is spinning out of control. And people are losing their minds. And their jobs. And their families. And their freedoms. God is at work and has always been at work. But sometimes I think as Christians, we forget that. And we ignore it. We rest on what God has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. He says, I'm building my kingdom. And I'm gathering my people. And some people may do this for evil, but I meant it for good. The gates of hell will not prevail against what I'm doing. There is nothing, no one, no thinking, no government, no biological warfare, no catastrophe that can stop what I'm doing. He's saying, follow me, and I will bring you home. I will bring you home. God is with us in every circumstance. No matter how difficult, no matter how painful, we can rejoice because his presence is always with us. And so knowing that his presence is with us, we can cultivate a thankful, prayerful, and peaceful heart. 
Are you thankful? Are you prayerful? And are you at peace? Would someone closest to you describe you as that way? Or are you anxious? Are you divisive? Rejoice, Paul says. You might be thinking, it's so hard. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my life. You don't know my family. You don't know my circumstance. I don't know. But God does. And that's why Paul says, we must cast our anxiety and our life upon God. We must cast our anxiety and life upon God. And the result, he says in verse 7 of Philippians 4, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The result is peace. When we cast our anxiety upon him. But until Jesus returns and makes all things right, we're going to experience devastating loss. We're going to experience interpersonal conflict. We're going to experience heartbreaking sickness, death of loved ones, and even our own death. And this does not mean when we are to rejoice always that we're not sorrowful. So when these terrible things do happen, to us or to those that we love. Paul is saying sorrow and joy can exist at the same time. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, I'm sorrowful. I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Because the rock in which we stand is deeper than the circumstance and stronger. So yes, we do weep when others weep. We rejoice when others rejoice. And we cry with those who cry. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul, it's very simple, the command. Stop worrying about anything. Stop worrying about anything. It seems like today everybody's worried about everything. Paul's saying, stop that. Do not worry about anything. If you can find me a verse in the Bible that says we have grounds to be anxious or worry, then I might change my mind. But it's not the case. Nowhere in Scripture is there a command to worry. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Rejoice. Rejoice in all things. Sorrow will come. But joy runs deeper still, and the joy of Christ is a river that never runs dry. Do you know that river? Have you experienced that river? Cast your anxieties upon him and drink from the fountain with no end. It is free to drink. Because the church is at its best when it's united and when it is rejoicing. And Paul closes this section by encouraging us to think properly in all things. Not only are we to be united and rejoicing, but we're to have a certain thinking pattern, which I think is very relevant to us. He says in verse 8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. 
and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying, you must fill your minds with things that inspire worship of God. Anything that is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think of these things. Think about these things. Meditate these things. Meditate on these things. And meditation is not this other false religion sense of you must empty your mind. Rather, Christianity says fill your mind. Fill your mind with these things. Things that are pure and lovely and all is honorable. If we were to think about the gospel, it encompasses all of this. If we were to think of Jesus and the goodness of God and the Holy Spirit and the Son, it encompasses all of these things. We are not to think of things that are untrue or dishonorable or unjust, or impure, or ugly, or improper, or inferior, or unworthy. Proper Christian thinking means setting our minds on higher things. If we were to fix our eyes on Christ, it would fulfill all these things. Where do we have our eyes fixed? The Bible describes our eyes as a window to our heart. We often become what we look at all the time. Our attitudes will often become what we read. What are we reading? What kind of articles are we reading? What kind of news outlets are we reading? What kind of books are we reading? What are we watching? Our eyes are a lamp to our heart. Let's set our things, our, our mind on things that are worthy and pure and lovely and true. And let's not waste our time. The things we look at. The things we think about. Is it treasure? Or is it trash? Could we dispose of it? Or do we cherish it? And should we cherish it? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And you'll be more like him. What wives need of husbands is for husbands to be more like Jesus. What husbands needs of, need of wives is wives to be more like Jesus. What our community needs is people more like Jesus with humility and joy in a servant's heart and a body of people who not only look out for their own interests but the interests of others to see the beauty of art and creation and be in wonder and awe of that but to also see the beauty of come along, coming alongside and caring for the poor coming alongside who are shut in Coming alongside people who can't watch Facebook Live and have no internet or phone access. 
to inconvenient ourselves to come alongside people. Whatever is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable, think about these things. This is the filter in which we should put everything through. We must saturate our mind and life in the Bible. We must saturate our mind and life in the Bible. Maybe it's been a long time since you've picked up the Bible. Maybe you've never picked it up. And maybe you need a fresh understanding and inspiration of what this is. When you're reading the Bible, you are seeing the heart of God. And this, this book, this Bible, is an invitation for you to know him more deeply. And I have to say this to my own heart and my own mind, that i got to stop wasting my time in these other things. There's so many things that distract. There's so many things that demand my time. But the word is so worthy of all that we are. Would we saturate our mind and life in the Bible so that we would see unity in the church? We would see rejoicing hearts and we would see Christians who think rightly. And no matter the circumstance and no matter what the world throws at us and no matter what situation is around us, we would rejoice and we would have a deep peace and we could provide comfort to those who do not know Christ we can provide a peace that surpasses all understanding. If our peace can be explained by a change of situation, it's not very miraculous. But Paul is saying you should be a people that when the waves are coming and the fires are being thrown, you rise above and you're at peace. Because Christ holds us and he is there with us and he is for you and he is not against you. Let us cling to him and fix our eyes upon him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray for your people around the world that they would be united. And in times that can seem so divisive, we pray for unity. We pray that we would surround ourselves around the central doctrines of Christianity. That we would saturate our minds with the Bible. And that we would rejoice. And that we would fight the urge to, which is so natural to me, to complain to gossip, and to bicker. Lord, take those thoughts and those attitudes out of my soul that I'd be more like you. We pray this because you are our highest treasure and you are with us. Amen.